everyone, welcome to the Rosenfeld Review, where we're just a bunch of blind guys trying to figure out that elephant. Uh, today's blind guy is Mariano Suarez Batan, co-founder and CEO of Mural, which a lot of you are already using. I don't even have to mention it to you, uh, explain it to you, uh, what an amazing tool it is for a remote collaboration and, and really creativity. Um, I'm really happy to have Mariano on the show today. Um, and I, I, it's amazing that he's even in one place to, to, to do a podcast. I think you're, you were practically, you practically have your foot in the, the door, through the door of your car from your home to your office in the Bay Area. But I'll bet you like later today, you're flying down to Buenos Aires and, and where are you going to be tomorrow? Uh, Mariano, where are you, you? So you are in the Bay Area today, right? Hi, Lou. Thanks for having me. And yes, I I am currently working from home in the Bay Area, going to the city later today to our to our office there. Wow. Um, so uh, I, I it's funny because I see you as someone who's always at conferences and always traveling. Of course, I see you at our conferences. Uh, Mural's been a great uh, partner and sponsor, pretty much of every conference Rosenfeld Media has done since. Uh, the beginning when we did Enterprise UX in San Antonio back in 2015. And that was pretty early on for Mural, if I understand it. Um, you, what, when did you guys get started in 2014? Yeah, just a clarification, right? So I tend to be in a lot of conferences, but where our customers are. I mean, I don't like being in like schmoozing conferences out there, but the, you happen to create now three Great events, very targeted to the people that we serve. So, so yeah, I take the advantage of going to New York or San Antonio back in the day to to learn from people, uh, have prospects and customers talk to each other, uh, and and learn a little bit. So, so, so coming yeah, back to your question, we started in startup years a long time ago, so 2011. Um, and we had a video games company that we started in 2005. We created games for big brands, and then we published our own games, a soccer game in particular called Bola, 20 million people during 2010. During 2010, we got acquired by a company called Playdom and then by Disney. And my job uh, switched from CEO to creative director. So I had to create new game ideas. And I was designing a new game about emotions. And I was using PowerPoint to collect inspiration, pictures of characters, uh, storylines, game mechanic videos, and so on. And I realized when I was sharing work in progress, people were confused because they were expecting a story and the story wasn't there yet. So it's going forwards and backwards with slides. And I was presenting, sharing, opening my brain, heart, uh, this very fragile idea in PowerPoint, people were judging more than uh, helping out or co-creating or shoulder-to-shoulder collaboration, right? So I said, this is something that, that's wrong, that's missing in the digital collaboration realm because I was working out of San Francisco a lot and my, my team was in Buenos Aires. Something that feels more ephemeral, something that, that, that people can iterate on versus a deck that feels more permanent. And that was the original insight in which we started building a prototype and so on back in 2011, 2012. And so it was, sounds like it was almost like a, a, a an effort to 
kind of flatten the hierarchy of collaboration. You were presenting initially from decks, and people were sort of almost like consumers of your information. It sounds like that wasn't really working for you. And uh, I like the way you put it. You wanted to have more of a shoulder-to-shoulder experience with the people you were interacting with remotely. So, so you have that realization, and you start working on a prototype. Is it kind of it, has it gone as you'd expected? Is is the functionality and the overall experience of Mural today what you envisioned back in uh, you know eight nine years ago? Well, some things yes, yeah, something no. I mean, I, I have a little sketch of the idea um, I took a picture of that I, I compared with. And, and we definitely didn't know much about the, all of the formal methodologies that started to become mainstream uh, as today, right? You see everybody or not everybody, a lot of people know about you know, customer journey maps, experience map, jobs maps, uh, the business model canvas and all of those canvases became super popular the methodologies around user research, entrepreneurship, uh, customer journey, I mean, I mean, customer experience design. Like in the last eight, 10 years, there's been like a, well, thanks to you and others, right? I mean, a, a lot of education around how to do it properly. We did a lot of these things very intuitively back in 2011, 2012, right? Uh, so I would say that in principle, yes, as you said, the the, the 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 sensation of I mean making like a peer-to-peer friendly collaboration and possibility to iterate make it super visual yes but it was only in 2014 when we got into IDEO as a startup in residence in San Francisco when we kind of like understood what we were doing uh, we did our first formal uh, UX research most of the research that we're doing was more usability testing, but here we went in and we did a three month program where we kind of reflected on this design thinking process and doing design thinking, right? So we did a lot of user research and, and the, the folks from IDEO interviewed, I mean, introduced us from folks at Intuit, Stanford D School, Autodesk and so on. Uh, we, we formalized all of that, we understood all of the pains, gains, and nervousness that comes through this uh, innovation process. And after that, we realized a couple of things. One was that we had to focus not just on making this playground, this canvas, be super visual, easy to use, and so on. But we had to do a lot of investment around uh, methodologies and helping people in different locations around the world go through guided methodologies through different templates to help them achieve. So obviously a lot of learning uh, about how, how remote collaboration um, could work. Uh, and, you know, y- y- you guys have been really like uh, at the forefront of the commercialization of the technology. So you have probably a unique perspective on, on how people actually start improving their collaboration through tools like yours. But I want to turn it around and ask you if you can reflect on what you've learned about collaboration in general. So, you know, when humans have humans been collaborating, it's one of the things that makes us human is our ability to communicate and have shared purpose. Um, but now that we can collaborate in these new ways mediated by technologies like this, 
do you have any kind of insight on on uh, how collaboration sh kind of works in general for people? Yes, uh, we pay attention a lot at the intersection of what we call imagination work or visual work together with remote, right? Because most of our clients are global enterprises, right? And their, their, their teams, by definition, you cannot put more than you know, 100, 200, 1,000 people in a room. So they need to at least be collaborating amongst buildings, right? So they, the digital component of the collaboration is very important. And it's something that a lot of people have to unlearn and relearn, right? People that are comfortable facilitating in a room, working with whiteboards, sticky notes, the smell of Sharpies, need to forget about that and give themselves to a new medium uh, with the, hopefully the same type of methodologies. So that intersection of imagination work and, and remote work, we've seen a bunch of best practices. And by the way, we have a little ebook. If you go to mural.co slash ebook, it's not published by Rosenfeld Media, but it's pretty good anyway with a lot of tips and, uh, from, from, the, from the marketplace. But the, um, we have a bunch. So one is don't assume people, this is for early on, uh, know how to collaborate remotely, right? I mean, especially, I mean, it's easy to press a button, talk to someone, it's easy to chat into a box, but it's not easy to facilitate the room. It's not easy to have conversations and address everybody in an audience. It's not, I mean, not everybody in the audience will have the same level of tech savviness approaching the room. Uh, so there's a lot of things around preparing people to be in the same level playing field, right? In terms of audio, video, and access to a shared space. Whatever the shared space is, everybody needs to be a peer in that environment. If not, there will always be a second class citizen. So that, that's, that's around the setting up. Then around the facilitation, a lot of best practices around uh, in-person facilitation can be teleported into the digital realm, right? And we encourage people to not just get started right away, but again, I mean, stretch those muscles, do a little bit of a, you know, a mini exercise, audio and video friendly, so that people can also start using their virtual limbs to contribute to the more, more important meeting. Another thing that we've been seeing is the possibility to have people practice more, right? I mean, when, when people get together in a room to practice whichever activity or do a workshop, eh, they're super engaged and so on, but those workshops only happen every once in a while. Mm -hmm. In the digital realm, you can have more of those sessions more frequently and, in, and all in all level up the the quality and the participation of these people, right? And the other thing that uh, is a best practice in the in-person uh, world, but it's uh, necessary in the digital world is also like addressing the whole room, right? Like, so remember people to turn on their video, try to look at people in their eye or their virtual eye or their little box in the video conferencing system that you prefer. Uh, and, and don't forget to have everybody able to speak up. The beauty, though, is that everybody can contribute uh, written, right? So uh, having access to that canvas allows the introverts also to participate, which mm -hmm. is something that we, we're seeing more and more, and engineers appreciate. You know, interesting, uh, especially that the power dynamics change with the tool like Mural, 
Um, you talked about introverts um, being a little more comfortable. Uh, earlier, you talked about the kind of flattening the presenter-presentee relationship into something a little more collaborative. A lot of, a lot of platforms are having this type of impact in, in terms of changing power dynamics, often in a good way, uh, getting people from different silos or different functions to, to work together more collaboratively. I mean, we see this with, with research repositories, with design systems, with a lot of tools. And I wonder, from your perspective, are you seeing that sort of change in the power dynamic as a reason people would buy a tool like Mural in the first place? Or is it always like a sort of a byproduct of them buying the tool and then coming to you and saying, by the way, this has really had a change in our culture and how we work. Yeah. So definitely the, 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 the first time is like, okay, oh, we cannot fly or we got, I mean, someone is missing or whatever, let's go online, right? Uh, and uh, so, and then people like grow into it. Like mm -hmm. As they practice, like they feel comfortable and they realize, hey, we did it, the same thing or even better in this area. Of course, we miss each other, hugging each other or whatever uh, benefits when you're in person, but there's a lot of other benefits of being remote too. Um, carbon footprint uh, and, and others, uh, of course. But something that you mentioned before is sort of like leveling and, and leveling the playing field, which is true. Like the other thing that we see, we have a, like a voting functionality. And it's, of course, it's more secret than the in-person voting with dots because once you know, something starts to become the winner, I mean, well, you add one more to the winner, right? You always want to be winner. Or what, whatever the, the CEO or the leader voted on, maybe there's some magnetism towards that one this one it's it's private so that, i mean people appreciate that one that being said people like and and feel comfortable and, and get much more um in productive when there is a facilitator guiding them i could be a professional full-time facilitator and we're seeing more and more of those getting hired like in Kaiser Permanente, for example, one of our clients, they, they hired a full-time facilitator and we, we see more of that coming. But whoever is, has the role of facilitation, right? So like meeting leaders and so on. So we, we also embrace a little bit of that. So at its core, we're still going to be a peer-to-peer -peer environment. Everyone can contribute, everyone can vote. But we, we, through research, we realized that there were a lot of times there were either educators or meeting leaders that had like a special rank and a special set of tools to help guide people, uh, set the timer, set the voting session, set the templates, guide people through, through sections of the template so that they could time box the activities, which is, again, the digital realm, you generally have less time, so you need to be careful of that, uh, as well as, uh, yeah, ultimately get people to, to achieve more, rate the meeting, and get better at it the next time. So yes, it's peer-to-peer, -peer, but we also uh, mean, celebrate the facilitator. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you want more, not only do we have a whole bunch of podcasts in our archive, but we have something that's very current, very alive, and very engaging for groups. And that is our communities. Rosenfeld Media runs a variety of communities that meet on a monthly basis for video conferences variety of topics near and dear to UX people, ranging from enterprise experience to advancing research 
to design and research operations. I want to encourage you to join one of our communities. Again, it is free by going to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. Not only will you get a monthly video conference that you can listen in on and participate in, ask questions and so forth, we'll give you access to the recordings. And uh, for some of those communities, we're talking about dozens of recordings with really interesting presenters and facilitators. You'll also get a newsletter. You'll get access to an advice columnist. Yes, we actually are providing advice columnists for each community. And finally, if you're interested in our conferences, our communities correspond to our conferences. So you will be the first to know when programs, uh, when programs go live, uh, when tickets go on sale, and by the way, most of our conferences sell out, and other good things about our conferences, such as uh, when the scholarship applications open up. So go to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. You're going to find something that's free, something that's interesting, and it's a great opportunity to find your tribe as well. We'll see you there. So you have a lot of flexibility. I wonder if you've had to apply that in some aspect of how the tool is designed to uh, scenarios where you have a mix of, of remote and uh, in-person team, mem- team members. In other words, you don't just have a purely remote group. You have a mix. Some people may be sitting side by side and some people may be on the, on the other side of the planet. It seems like a, a, a cleaner design challenge when everyone is remote, but do you have like, uh, do you find that the dynamics change dramatically when three people on the, t- on the, in the meeting are sitting together and three are remote, let's say, and do you have to design the tool to accommodate for that? Yes, a hundred percent. It's hard when it's fully remote or fully in person are the simplest hybrid environments, mixed environments are more complicated because yeah, the center of gravity is where there's more people concentrated, right? Uh, again, more on this in our little ebook. Uh, but yeah, I mean, one of our design principles is around providing flexible structure, right? So we, as I said in the beginning, like the first version of Mural was super flexible. You could do whatever you wanted. When we started doing IDO, uh, we realized we needed to bring in a lot of templates and the possibility to build these templates and the possibility for enterprises that have hired like a lot of designers to build their playbooks like IBM Designer Leon or or when people hire Luma Institute or many other folks that train others in, in best practice in design, we need to build those structures, but in a flexible way. So if you need to change or improvise, no problem. Right? But people early on, they like to follow instructions. As they get more comfortable, they improvise. So we wanted to provide a, you know, a space, a platform for the content of these workshops to be able to be done properly. Now, when it comes to location, right? And as you said, in physical presence, uh, yeah, we, we, we try to think of this as much as a, like an omni-channel shopping, right? Omni-channel, omni-channel collaboration, uh, because people say, yeah, well, I'm not remote, but I don't know, right now I'm remote and in a little bit, I'm gonna be in the office, which is one of our offices, we have a couple, so, uh, a mobile more than remote or in person, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, I mean, I like my work to be portable and help, I mean, come with me and be able to access and contribute wherever I might be. Now, when people are in a room, one of the trends that we've seen besides, again, remote work, besides visual 
methods becoming standard. The third trend that we're surfing on is huge touchscreens. Remember the first one that we brought into? It was, an, it was just enormous. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's quite, so quite a rig. Something that we do in all of your events is bring in these 84-inch, 55-inch touchscreens that have been getting better and better and better. Microsoft being an early adopter, but there's many others coming into the market too. So we see that all project rooms inside, at least corporations, enterprises that can afford them because they're still expensive, but more and more the price will go down, right? So we see those big touchscreens will be in all project rooms, which are great catch-all for the folk that is in a meeting online, right? Three people in a room, two remote, and the person in that room says, oh, let, let, me, let me whiteboard this for you because maybe they only have one video camera, right? Or one Zoom one Microsoft Teams or WebEx Teams meeting there. And then all of a sudden, the guys on the other end say, what, what is he drawing on the, on the whiteboard, right? And they need to point the whiteboard. Then that, that, that sucks. That's a bad, bad, bad experience. So having those big touchscreens helps. Also, another best practice we recommend is that even though you might have a big uh, video feed when there's a lot of people in one room, all of them need to have access to the shared space, right? Uh, whichever it is, but have that access to a canvas via an iPad, via a laptop, mm -hmm. whatever it is, all of them leveled up being able to contribute individually. And then uh, we see some, some large consultancies um, that uh, have, have designed their workshops so that people can come in and contribute directly into these big touch rooms. So they pre-populate the environment and so forth. And we've seen like a, one of the top four consultancies uh, bring in VPs of like large financial services companies and run all digital workshops when they're in person. No, no, none of them using their own personal devices, but participating using these large touch screens, using predefined templates, and they're blowing people's brains away with their amazing uh, orchestrated workshop that they do. Wow. So you've given, uh, you've given us a really good portrayal of what people are doing now. Um, maybe a good last question would be, think about five years from now, what kind of problems are people going to be solving using technologies like Mural? Will it be very different from what they're doing today? And what's the tool going to look like? Is it going to have to change dramatically over those five, maybe even 10 years? So there's a couple of things. So first of all, in order for, I'll call it humankind or imagination workers to be able to be more productive, uh, we need to like have th uh, these methodologies, this visual collaboration language be as universal as possible, right? So kids need to be able to work visually, to draw what's inside their heads, to sketch. Adults need to remember that they were kids once and it's okay to draw, to sketch and, and show their ideas, right? It's also important to have these uh, guided methods, right? These workshops also be standard so that we don't lose so much time in teaching people what a journey map is, what does this mean, what does that mean? We just get and do it, right? So there's, there's, there's something around uh, in making this way of working standard. Then as I said before, before there's also something around uh, helping people uh, become better at being remote workers or digital workers, right? Like getting better at, I mean, don't use that crappy microphone. You say good one because it's important or how to change the frequency of their Wi-Fi so it's better. So little things like that on the technical side. 
And then things like turn on the camera, speak slowly, address the audience, uh, move in this virtual space and so on. Now, when it comes to the software to assist you, I think assisting is a very important word. I also use coaching. I think that the software, our software in particular, will help you, will coach facilitators and participants to become better at these things, right? So imagine that you're being stuck and say, hey, what do you think of this, think of that, or, or tips and to, I mean, guides for the facilitator to address, hey, Lou in the back there is not talking that much. Maybe you need to ask him a question. So a little more on the coaching to become a better facilitator, coaching to become a better participant. That's, that's probably one of the, the big things that we'll be seeing as AI, as a helper, as an assistant to become better at what we achieve, in addition to uh, learning the methods that are important out there. Right. Of course, there's going to be much more improvement on, on the thinking canvas, right? Like, like a, in looking for insights, patterns, um, in the, the diagrams being drawn by themselves, no need to like do every single thing manually. And so there's a little science fiction. Last thought, a AR and VR, right? Like there's a lot going on there. Uh, it's gonna be tough that in the next five years, it becomes mainstream. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, we're seeing people have really good workshops with video and online canvases. I mean, they, they are getting their jobs done. They're moving ahead with their their, their innovations and so on. And if you need to gear up with a heavy like piece, piece of glass on, on your eyes and so forth to have a conversation and collaborate, I mean, we need to like get that miniaturized to make it worth it. Mm -hmm. Coming, but not the next five years. It's probably a longer term like that. But in the meantime, it sounds like you might be uh, investing pretty soon in uh, machine learning to help with that, uh, that coaching that you, uh, that you foresee. Are you actually starting to, to make plans for that? 100%, right? Like one of the benefits of, of working with, with, with the, I mean, yeah, one of our new investors is Gradient, which is Google's AI firm then IBM, which is one of our clients, and Microsoft, one of our partners, is that we have access to a lot of smart people using our software that care about that, as well as uh, services that we can take advantage of. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was recently a, a little article on a group at IBM using Mural to educate and teach a non natural language processor uh, algorithm, or uh, not algorithm, but yeah, machine learning. Mm -hmm. uh, so. So definitely we'll see more and more of that, yes. Mariano, thank you so much. Um, one last question for you before we break. Uh, I always like to ask if there's someone you wanna call out or something, book, an article, what comes to mind? So I mentioned the startup in residence at IDEO, that was in 2014 and Part of the, the program, besides learning a lot and, and, and bringing some of their DNA into our culture, um, they, they, they kindly introduced us to a lot of people. And, and in particular, Tim Brown, former CEO at IDEO, uh, introduced me to Phil Gilbert, which is a current, well, former, well, current head of IBM Design and a great uh, early adopter. Right? I mean, uh, they, they introduced 
them because it interests me because they they needed to understand how to scale design thinking to hundreds of thousands of people uh, and and the introduction was in march and uh, phil was hosting something in south by southwest and i hopped on a plane i met him on a coffee shop there i told him about Miro, and he kindly introduced me to someone in his team who was paying attention to virtual uh, studios and and those are the little mini leaps of faith that certain early adopters do that change the delta of your company. I didn't know it back then, but IBM today's again huge customer, huge partner, and 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 Phil took the risk with a tiny little startup, a Argentinian founder that had just immigrated into Silicon Valley, and I'm gonna be forever thankful for that leap of faith. And of uh, course, Tim's introduction. Yeah, Phil Gilbert, uh, a lot of people uh, who listen to this podcast probably know a lot about him in terms of his role at, of really scaling design at IBM. But uh, uh, that this is some nugget that you probably didn't know. So thanks for sharing that, Mariano. And thank you for joining us today, Mariano Suarez Batans, co-founder and CEO of Mural, a tool that uh, you probably know. And if you don't, you should go to mural.co and check it out because... Uh, you're probably um, going to need it soon if you if you have. And Lou, remember that we're going to be sponsoring all of your events this year again. So advancing research, enterprise experience, and design ops. Uh, please come say hello there. We'll be bringing the infamous big touch drinks. Say hi to all of us. All right, thank you, Mariano. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review, brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen. And please check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.